we need you to connect with what I'm saying. And I don't mean that uh, because of the, 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 the title of our message, but because I need you to really understand and comprehend what's going on. We're talking about Connect Four, four connections to creating healthy relationships. How many of you feel like you got a pretty healthy relationship with a friend? Raise your hand. How many of you say, I'm not quite there yet? Would you raise your hand? Okay. <laughs> Some of you didn't raise your hand for any of it. I don't know what's going on. Regardless if you are an introvert or an extrovert, regardless if you are a people person or a hermit, <laughs> we all want and have a desire to connect with people, whether you think so or not. The problem is, for most people, they just don't know how. They just don't know how to connect with others. Uh, they don't know how to develop healthy relationships, whether it be with a friend, a spouse, uh, your children, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. They're trying to figure it out. Like, how do I do this? I see other people with healthy relationships, but I seem to be missing it. Something is wrong. Um, well, I want you to know this. I believe it's very possible for you to have healthy, flourishing relationships. We all want to connect with people in some shape, form, or fashion. But how? Well, I believe according to King Solomon uh, in the Old Testament, according to his writings in the book of Ecclesiastes, there is one way to connect with people and only one way to have healthy relationships. And that is doing it God's way. Now, I know that seems cliche, but the reality is the world has a way and we have a way as Christians. Our way and their way is distinctly different. Their idea of friendships and their idea of relationships is distinctly different than God's idea and way of developing friendships and relationships. So Ecclesiastes is King Solomon's sermon on the meaning of life. And so King Solomon is the son of David, if you didn't know that, King David. And by divine empowerment, he is the wisest man that ever existed. There's never been a man like him. He's unique in so many ways. As the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, he focuses on the importance of life. And with that in mind, <clears throat> he begins the book with the words that are very unique and unusual. He starts with this, vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, vanity of vanity, vanity all is vanity. When I read that in uh, chapter 1 and verse 2, I think to myself, this is very negative. How many would agree with me? What a negative way to start off talking about life. This seems very derogatory. It's a derogatory approach to life. But as we look closer, we can see something very important. There's a clear cry of urgency. Is everybody with me? He is trying to get us to understand something vitally important. The word vanity is a Hebrew word that is pronounced hevel. And the word hevel means smoke or sometimes it's translated vapor. It basically means this. It's a word that the author uses over 35 times that's simply trying to say, life is unstable, vanity. And in other words, it's unpredictable. How many would agree with me that life is completely unpredictable? Life is unpredictable because we go from day to day not knowing what the day has in store for us. And so he looks at this life that we have and how unpredictable it is and how that we try to grab onto the different aspects of life, but it just slips through our fingers like smoke uh, slips through the fingers of a man or a woman when they're reaching out into a room that's filled with smoke or maybe by a fire pit. 
And so with that in mind, he begins to bring things together and explain to us that life should be stable. There should be quality relationships and relationships that have value and friendships and connections. And so King Solomon is not just explained that life itself is fragile, even though the, the book of James explains life is a vapor, appears for a little time, and then vanisheth away. He goes further than that. He said there's aspects of life that are like smoke. They, they're here and they're gone. And those areas that are unstable and unpredictable are usually the areas that are contrary to Scripture. They're those elements of life that leave Jesus Christ out. Uh, their money, their fame, their popularity, their relationships. So the author shows that there are areas that we can have in our life that are apart from God that are unattainable. They are areas in our life that we want so badly, but we don't realize that when we finally get them, they're not stable. You want that sexy relationship. You want that incredible friendship with people that you think is so appealing. You want that popularity and you reach for it and you reach for it, but it just slips through your hands because that is not healthy relationships. I'm going to pull away from this mic for a second, illustrate this way. I'm going to put these over here. And I, I, I think an, another way to look at it is like this. I think often we don't see life like this, but... It's kind of like he says, he's illustrating, he said, life, let's see if this is some cheap bubbles here, folks, from Dollar General. How about that? Often he says, life is kind of like smoke, but I think, if I can illustrate, <laughs> never go to Dollar General for your bubbles, folks. There they are. You are awake. Hey, everybody likes bubbles, right? <laughs> yeah, let's try it again. Oh, y'all cheer it on, okay? Here we go. <laughs> this is a beautiful illustration, I promise you. Oh. Only if three came out. Let me say this, four. I feel like we see things in life like that, and it's so appealing and so attractive, and we're like, look, if I could just have that, if I could just get a hold of that, I will be so happy. My life will be so much better. And then we try and we reach out. And I wish I could reach out to these bubbles and grab onto them. But the reality is, is we reach out and nothing happens because the more you reach, the more you grab, the more they disappear. It doesn't work. And I think what we need to understand, and this is very important, and I'm going to get to a point in just a second with that is, that's the way so many people process social media and process friendships and process boyfriends and girlfriends and even their marriage. They want it a specific way, but often that way, that relationship isn't God's way. And because of that, they're reaching out and it just disappears in their hand. He goes a little further and he begins to explain the way it was meant to be. He shows that true friendships are attainable. True relationships are able to, to be established that are stable. And when you reach out to them and grab them, there's something that you can literally hold on to. They're beneficial in so many ways. Are you all following me? And he begins to illustrate that, but I'm afraid I would go a little further with this because I think so many people in this room might actually think they have stable relationships. They think they're in a good place, but what's really going on, they're like those bubbles that are floating. They're like, it's so appealing, it's so attractive. But in reality, when they try to hold on to those things, it doesn't really hold up. 
it falls apart. I think one of the things that we so often overlook is the way he brings it all together in Ecclesiastes 4. We focus on aspects of Ecclesiastes and forget the in-depthness of Ecclesiastes and the wisdom that's brought to us. So let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. So as we fast forward to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and get past the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 1, we see a picture, an unusual picture, a picture that Solomon creates. And I don't know if this is somebody that Solomon met or it's just somebody he's talking about, if this is a fictitious character, if this is a real person. But he talks about a man that has everything. He said this man has everything he could ever imagine except connections with others, community. That's what's lacking in his life. He doesn't have relationships with his kids. He doesn't have relationship with a spouse or a loved one. They, they, that doesn't exist. He's lacking in this area. And he goes on to use that word again. It's all vanity. He's looking for something but getting nothing. He's grabbing for it, but in return, he's getting nothing. He's empty inside. But there is one thing he does have. He has success. He has money. He's able to hold on to those things, but those things are not sustainable. And so what happens is we see King Solomon drawing his attention to this guy and the importance of understanding that this man is empty inside with no connections, with no community, with no stable, healthy relationships. And then he shifts gears and begins to explain how to develop those relationships, how to have something in your life that is sustainable and something that you can hold on to. Are you all following me? Something you can reach out to and grab onto. And I think what happens here is that what he does, I'm going to do it again. Yeah, I want to. Can I? Y'all with me? Y'all have faith? I'm not going to give up because I want to tell Christian I tried. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're going to keep him going. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, this, this, and then this is what I'm trying to say. Everybody in life is reaching and reaching and grabbing and reaching, and they find themselves grabbing onto nothing. And the reality is simply this. I believe that we as Christians can do the same thing when we develop unhealthy relationships that are not Christ-focused. We reach out to what we think is going to work and what we think is best, and in the end, there's nothing solid. There's nothing stable. There's nothing healthy from our marriage to our relationship with our kids to the ones we're dating to the ones that we'd like to date. There's a sheer reality there. So here we go. I want to focus this Sunday and the following Sunday on the four connections that create healthy relationships. That's why I'm calling it the Connect Four. So let's look at this first connection in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, okay? We fast forward. We saw the whole concept that he created of, of the importance of life and what to hold on to in life. And now we fast forward and see how it brings it all together. And we see this beautiful picture from a man that had nothing to a person that can have everything through having healthy relationships. So according to the writings of King Solomon, the first connection that create healthy relationships is um, friendship. It's friendship. So let's look at these three key benefits to friendship according to Ephesians chapter 4. Everybody with me? Yes, All right. I want you to take your hand then. Because we're talking about friendship. And on that one hand, I want you to count how many friends you have. Now, be careful. 
I don't need you to hold it up and embarrass yourself. But on that one hand, somebody once said, if you can hold up that one hand and count on that one hand the amount of friends you have, you're a blessed man. I don't know if that's true. I wish we could hold up both hands. But right now, use one hand. Count on that one hand how many friends you have, all right? Think to yourself. I'm talking about best friends. I'm talking about close friends, friends that'll be there when nobody else is there. Friends that got your back. Y'all with me? Think to yourself. You may not use your hand. You may just use your brain. So is it five? Is it four? Is it three? Is it one? How many is it? Now ask yourself this question. Why do I have so many or so few friends? Are you with me? Why do I have so many or so few friends? Now let's take it a step further. Let's make sure we understand what a friend is. And so before you ask, answer the question, why do I have so many or so few, I want you to understand what a friend is and what a friend is not, okay? A friend is not uh, an acquaintance. Everybody understand? It's not an acquaintance. It's not somebody that you casually bump into once in a while. It's not somebody that you see at Starbucks every morning and they know your name, and just because they know your name, you think they're your friend. That's not the way it works, just because you're in Hollywood and you bump into a movie star and he shakes your hand and you have 30 seconds of a conversation doesn't mean that movie star is your friend. Yeah, no matter how cool it sounds, that is not your friend. Tell you what else is not a friend. Friendships on Facebook are not always friends. You say, I have a lot of friends on Facebook. I'm sure you do. And some of them probably are true friends. No doubt about it. Probably 3% of them are probably true friends but the rest are not. If you have 1,500 friends on Facebook, the likelihood of them actually being friends is slim to none. Y'all follow me? For a matter of fact, most of them you probably have never talked to or ever see, or you haven't seen them in 30, 40 years. You, you know of them, you know who they are, but they're not really a friend. An associate is not necessarily a friend. Just because you work with them doesn't mean they got your back, doesn't mean they're your friend. They know your name, they know your hobbies, they know what ticks you off, what makes you happy. They know when you're having a good day, they know when you're having a bad day, but they don't necessarily have your back as a friend. That's not necessarily a friend. Everybody on the same page with me so far? So what is a friend? Well, we know friends are defined biblically, not socially or worldly. They're Defined by the book of Proverbs. I think that's the best way to understand what a friend is. So according to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 17, a friend is one that loves at all times. They're the ones that stick with you when everybody else leaves you. They're, a, a true friend loves at all times. That means a friend doesn't burn bridges every time things don't go right. You know what I mean? That's not a true friend. A friend is intentional and they love you in spite of who you are. A friend, according to Proverbs 18 and verse 24, is, is one that sticketh closer than a brother. That's a pretty serious friend. They're with you through thick and thin. According to the book of Proverbs in chapter 27 and verse 6, the Bible tells us a friend gives us words that are helpful and sometimes they can be hurtful. You have a friend like that? They just tell it the way it is. They, they're giving truth and love, but the truth they give kind of hurts. It stings. Y'all following me? <laughs> Those people you need in your life, that's a true friend. They reprove, rebuke, and exhort. That's what the Bible defines as a friend. And according to Proverbs 27 and verse 17, a friend sharpens you like iron. 
They make you better. That's what a biblical friend is. So go back to that hand. How many real friends, biblically speaking, do you actually have? Friendship is the first connection to healthy relationships. In the eyes of God, friendship is outwardly focused, an outwardly focused concept on connections with others. Um, so I'm going to give you three benefits to friendship according to Ephesians, Ecclesiastes, not Ephesians, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. So Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9. I'm going to warn you, King Solomon's writings are very unusual and somewhat hard to understand. He is a very wise, intelligent man, so his writings are very specific and very intentional, so we're going to pick them apart. So the first benefit to friendship is this, life is better with friends. How many would agree with me on that? Would you raise your hand? How many are still with me? Would you raise your hand even higher? Okay. Friends bring benefits. And one of those benefits is this. Life is better with friends. Now, it says in verse 9, two are better than one. Well, that's common sense, right? Because they have a good reward for their labors. Now, my son Christian's in Bible college. Brianna's not here right now. For her birthday, she flew down to Pensacola, Florida to be with Christian. She's having a good time, but last night she started crying. And I said, what's wrong? I thought this was a good thing. You're in Florida. You're with Christian. And he goes, but I have to leave tomorrow, and I'm going to leave him. And she's all upset, but she's having a good time regardless. Uh, it's hard. It's even harder for Christian because he's in Florida, and he doesn't know anybody. And so to develop friendships has been difficult. So he told me on the phone, he says, Dad, what I've been doing is pretty much just go to class, come home to my dorm, and I do my schoolwork, and I'm like a hermit. I don't really do anything. I don't communicate with anybody. I said, Christian, that's not good. It's not healthy. I said, you need to get out of your dorm. You're going to get around people, human beings. You'll like them. They're everywhere. There's like 7 billion of them in the world. So he's like, all right, yeah, I'll try. Next time I talked to him, he's like, you know what? I went bowling with some guys, and we had a good time. And then I found myself introducing myself to everybody, you know? And he said, I even called myself Cristiano instead of just Christian because I wanted to be unique and different. I'm like, wow, that's nice because his real name is Cristiano, but he don't go by that. So he's so excited. He was so excited because he was developing friendships. You know why he's really excited? You know why this is stirring him within? Because God designed him to have community. God designed you to be social. You say, that is not me. I am not a social person. I'm an introvert, not an extrovert. The reality is you were wired to communicate with others because it's a good thing. From the beginning of time, God made it very clear that you were supposed to be with other people. For a matter of fact, in the book of Genesis, at the very beginning of the book, God said it's not good for man to be alone, okay? Not just because they need a spouse, they need a companion, they need a friend, they need somebody to connect with. This is the first time we see that it's not good. Everything's been good up to this point. Very good. But all of a sudden God says, this is not good. This is bad. It is a bad thing when you don't have friends in your life because there's benefits to it. And so here's something that you need to understand. When it comes to the American people, 52% of Americans report that they feel alone. Now, this is important to understand when it comes to loneliness. Isolation is being by yourself, but loneliness is not liking being by yourself. Nobody truly wants to be alone. Now, you say, yes, I do. There are times, and that's important, where you want to get away from everybody, especially if you're a parent, especially if you're a mother. But it's not good. 
and you were not wired and designed to be constantly alone. The reason people don't like to be alone is because God did not design for them to be alone. It is not healthy to be a loner. Let me say it again. It is not healthy to be a loner. You were made to connect. Um, <clears throat> let me make sure you understand this. If you are one of those people who are saying, that is not true. I was not made to connect. That is not how I'm wired. Let me remind you, you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, and we have a relational God. That is what he is. He's a relational God, and he wants you to be in a, re a relational person and connecting with under others. Not under. Nothing to do with under. Others. There's a man by the name of Dr. Leonard Kimmer, and uh, he's a psychologist. And he said this. He said over his 30 years of dealing with patients that suffer with depression, he's realized that it is impossible, scientifically speaking, for somebody to survive, for a human being to survive without others. You were made to be with other people. We are wired for friendship. We were created to connect. Uh, there's activities that isolate you and there's activities that integrate you. And the activities that integrate you are the ones that are going to help you have better mental health. It has been proven over and over and over again. So who do we know, according to Scripture, had these beautiful relationships that worked? Well, Jesus would be one of them. He had a friend group. How many of you feel like you've got a friend group? Raise your hand. How many have friends at all? Raise your hand. Okay. I'm really struggling here. Okay. <clears throat> Jesus had 12 in his friend group. Now, you might have three, you might have five. My daughter says she has multiple friend groups, depending on the, the time of the week. As she's like, I'm going to hang with this friend group, and I'm not this friend group. She's got a process to her friend groups. Jesus had 12. And all 12 of them, he was very intentional about. He was involved in their lives. He pursued them. So let me make sure you get this. It is healthy to have friends. It's important to have friends. It is what God designed you. That's what God wants for you. And life is better with friends, but it takes work. Are you ready? If you don't like to work, I have bad news for you. You're going to have a difficult time getting friends. A friend must show himself friendly. He has to go out of his way, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Every one of his friends, all 12 of them, Jesus approached them. Jesus got in their life. Jesus went out of his way to be a part of who they were. He connected with them. If you're one of those people that sit on your hands and say, you know what, I'm just going to, if it works out, I'm just going to let it work out, but I'm not going to pursue it. I'm not going to pursue it. I got news for you. That is never going to work. Friendships will never develop in your life if that's the mentality you have. You have to go out of your way, just like Jesus did, to cultivate these relationships. Remember, if you have the right friends in your life, then... You're going to be more productive. The end of verse 9 says they have good reward for their labors. So working with others, developing relationships with others produces some amazing benefits. It's helpful. That's why the Bible says it's better to have two than one. Simple. When I was doing yard sale a couple of weeks ago, I learned very quickly that two is better than one when you're moving a couch. Two is better than one when we moved out the refrigerator. Two is better than one with a dolly rolling out a freezer. Y'all following me? Yep, yep. The same goes in life. Two 
is better than one when it comes to friendships. Life is better with friends. Two, here's the second one. Life is easier with friends according to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 10. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe unto the one that falls alone. He says the one that has nobody to help him, woe unto him. It's not going to be good. How many agree life is hard? Huh? Are, are y'all awake? Life is hard. If you say, no, it's not that bad. Well, give it some time. You'll find out. Life is hard. Life at the time of Christ was difficult just to walk down a path because most paths in Israel were covered with rocks. You'd have to walk through all the rocks and your donkey would have to get through the rocks and your children would have to get through the rocks. And we all know what it's like when you have a three-year-old trying to climb over rocks. It's scary. It's terrifying, especially if you've got a daughter named Nellie. It is overwhelming. The reality is at that period of time, the reason why King Solomon said what he said about lifting your brother and sister in Christ up when they stumble, it's better to have two is because their journey through life literally was constantly bombarded by rocks and things that would cause them to stumble and to cause them to fall. The question is, who is it in your life that you lean on when you start to stumble? Who is it in your life that you call when you find yourself slipping? Life is filled with things that cause us to fall spiritually. And sometimes we fall so hard we can't get up on our own. We just can't do it. We need somebody in those moments because we just don't know how to get our marriage back together. We don't know how to get our kids under control or how to create a, and cultivate a good, healthy relationship with our kids because something you've done in your life wasn't right. And now you see your kids reacting to that thing. And so you've got to have these people in your life that are going to come alongside of you and help you when you fall. When I was a kid, there was this commercial, and I don't know why we thought it was so funny. It's really sad, actually. It was called, uh, it was, the commercial was for Life Alert. How many remember that? <clears throat> yeah. And now there's memes about it and all this kind of stuff. And to me, it was hilarious as a kid because it was a cheesy commercial. And it's elderly people. Please forgive me. I know this sounds horrible, but it's elderly people that would have this lanyard and at the end of the lanyard, there's like this button. And if they'd fall, they push the button and Life Alert would be alerted, and somebody would come and help them. And, and, and often there would be somebody that could communicate to them right through that little lanyard, that little button, and they'd say, ma'am, don't worry, help is on the way. One of the famous phrases in that commercial was, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. And that's, I've, you know, ever since I was a kid, I still today, I, I laugh about that. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. How many remember that commercial? I know that sounds sad to talk about something like that because it is so serious. But the reality is how many Christians are in that situation in life? They fall and they have nobody to help get them up. There's no life alert. There's nobody that they can call and lean on because they've not developed friendships and the benefit of having an easier life through those friendships. Who are you connected with? Who do you lean on when you're struggling to stand up? Who do you call when you really mess up? The Bible says confess your faults one to another. That's important. The Bible says and pray for one another that you'll be healed. When's the last time you reached out to a healthy, spiritually healthy friend and said, Hey, 
I'm really struggling in this area and I need your help. Life has not been easy and I don't know how to handle this. I made a horrible decision in my marriage. I looked at some things that I shouldn't have looked at and I need help to get on track. I am stumbling. I keep on falling. I can't do this alone. I need somebody to help me. And I didn't know who else to call, so I called you. Who is it you call? Who is it you lean on? The Bible says, the Bible says in uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20, 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. You see, a friend that you can call and lean on when you're falling and stumbling is somebody that will provoke you to get up and get going. See, the word provoke there is interesting. It's like a cheerleader. I guess the best way to illustrate that is my brother Denny, he... I can't believe I said Denny's a good illustration, but he is. Uh, Denny works out. He loves to work out. He's obsessed with working out. He works out twice a day. And when you work out with Denny, it's interesting because he provokes you in multiple ways. <laughs> in annoying ways, in productive ways, okay? So Denny, when you're working out and you're, on, you're, you're lifting weights and he's there to spot you, he's so obnoxious, he's in your face and he says, you can do this, come on, don't stop, come on. He's spitting all over you like I'm spitting right now. And he's in your face and you feel intimidated, but at the same time you feel liberated, like I can do this. I know I've got this in me. And you start to lift that weight. And when you can't lift the weight... Guess what Denny does? He comes under the weight and he begins to help you lift the weight. He spots you. That's what a true friend does. He's the one that's there to say, listen, I know you fell, but let's get up. Let me help you up. You've got this. Don't quit. Don't give in. Don't give up. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in fault, the Bible says, then we that are spiritual, what are we supposed to do? We're to restore them in meekness. That's not arrogance. Job's friends were arrogant friends. They didn't do it in meekness. They criticized him when he fell. You need those friends to come alongside of you to help life, make life a little easier. Let's say, you've got this. We can do this together. Let me help you up. Let me relieve this pressure that you're feeling by speaking into your life. Let me spot you. Another way of saying that is this. Bear ye one another's burdens. Life is tough. Why bear all the burdens alone? Don't do it. Life is so much easier when you have somebody that's helping you get up and helping you bear your burdens. Why are you bearing your burdens alone? And by the way, if you're one of those people that bear everybody's burdens, but you don't allow people to bear yours, you're going to break because you can only take so much. That's not the way God designed you. You're to bear one another's burdens. Again, he goes into a direction, I'm talking about King Solomon, that's very unique because he's a unique guy. So in verse 11, King Solomon takes this concept of friendship in a brand new direction that's usually looked down on with negativity because as American people, we look at this and say, that's weird. Is he endorsing the idea of snuggling with friends so you can have healthy relationships? Not necessarily. Let's read and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Verse 11, again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? See, there has to be a cultural understanding to the traveling of, uh, of, of folks at that period of time, the time of Christ over 2,000 years ago. And when you understand the cultural aspect of it, it becomes more clear. Because God knows I have friends I'll never want to snuggle with, ever want to snuggle with. Never going to happen. And here's the reality. 
when they would travel, they'd often travel together. And the reason they would travel together because when it got cold in the evenings, they would snuggle together. That's right. Because that body heat was important. Because if they went by themselves, they would have to carry multiple blankets in order to maintain that heat. So King Solomon's saying in life, do you realize how important and how much easier it is to have somebody that's there that's going to help you in multiple ways? It's not just about maintaining heat here, but he says it goes further than that. It's to relieve the burden. And I think that's the point I want you to get more than anything. It's the importance of understanding that when you have two, there's not a requirement to bring so much luggage, baggage, blankets, they didn't have heated blankets back then. So they would bring multiple blankets if they're by themselves. When you have somebody in your life that is intentional and is a healthy Christian friend, that person's going to make your life easier because they're going to help you get up when you fall. They're an accountability partner. They put your, their arm around you and help relieve the pressure in the things that you're bearing, the things you're going through. But that makes it go a little bit further when you know that they're there to help relieve some of the pressure you have with your family and your friends. They're constantly on you. And let me say this, negatively, because you're trying to do right. And they're like, why are you doing that? Why does it matter? Are, are you just beyond this this norm and you've become religious now you're not living a normal life you're becoming a religious individual why are you allowing that mentality to captivate your mind i disagree i think it's judgmental i think this i think that you'll get that the more you stand up for what's right those are not the friends that are there to help you when you stumble and fall those are not the friends that are going to make you better as a person let's go ecclesiastes 4:12 life is stronger with friends watch this and if one Prevail against him. Two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Hmm. 2,000 years ago, you didn't travel alone. Not just because you needed the warmth in the evening, but because you needed the protection in the day. A good example of this is the parable of Jesus, the Good Samaritan. A man was traveling and he got overtaken by a thief, a number of thieves. And he was beaten half to death. And he was barely able to survive it. Because at that time, thieves would hide and wait for their opportunity to take everything they can, to steal everything they can from a traveler, to steal, kill, and destroy. Who does that sound like? Satan. You see, I'm going to tell you, your enemy, the one that's after you, is not an earthly enemy. It's a spiritual enemy. His name is Satan. And life is stronger with friends because when you are dealing with that enemy, they come alongside of you and help you fight. You're not going to fight alone. Our journey of life is faced with all kinds of things and challenges and enemies. But the greatest enemy is no doubt the one that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Your family, your marriage, those that you love and adore. He wants whatever it takes to get in your life to destroy those relationships that are healthy. Grounded Christian friends are those that got your back. I'm going to close with this. They see the spiritual warfare. Now, this is very important. Life is stronger with friends. That's one of the benefits. If they're the ones that can see in your life that something's not right, they notice when you're struggling in your faith. They're the ones that give you a phone call or a text message and say, hey, listen, I know you've been struggling. I could tell the last time we were together, something's off, something's not right. I want you to know I'm praying for you and I love you. 
That is a true friend. A true friend is one that warns you that something's not right. That they see you slipping. And they speak into your life and say, listen, if you don't get this under control, it's going to ruin your marriage. I notice that you're very close to that woman. And she's your friend. But I don't know if you realize that friendship looks like it's developing into something else. I just want to speak into your life and let you know this is not healthy. They're the ones that fight with you in prayer and say, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. When's the last time you sent, you sent somebody a text message and said, I'm praying for you? Come on now. When's the last time you had a phone call with somebody and prayed with them on the phone? When's the last time you reached out to a friend and said, you're not in this alone. We're in this together. We are in this together. 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 Let me tell you something. If your life is falling apart and you chose to live life alone, that's on you. Life is better together. We can't change your decision. Even if I give you truth, you still have to make a decision what path you're going to take and what decisions you're going to do with your life and who you're going to have in your life. Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The reality is, I'd rather have somebody that's going to tell me the way I should live according to Scripture than tell me something that makes me happy. I need people in my life that are going to cultivate me. The Bible says, iron sharpeneth iron, and so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. When you have the right friend in your life, They will sharpen you to the point that you will be sober and vigilant so you're aware of your adversary, the devil. You're very aware of what he's doing and how he's doing it because you have somebody investing in your life to help you see the reality of Satan and what he does and how he works to get in your life. I love how it says a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I brought this small rope, but it still brings across the the idea of what King Solomon's saying. It takes multiple strands to make a strong rope. One strand on its own will never last. It'll be quickly broken. If you're an individual that's quickly broken in life, you fall apart easily, it's probably because you don't have the right people in your life making you strong. I'm going to ask Victor to come and start playing. And as he does, I want you to think about this. What is it in your life that makes you strong. What do you lean into in life to help you be a better person? You say, well, it is my friends. I definitely lean on my friends. Are your friends developing things in your life that are making you a better person? Let's get more specific, okay? How about this? Let me ask you a few questions. Y'all with me? Here's my first question. Who is your friend? That's the first question. It's an easy question. Who's your friend? Let's just say one. Who's your number one friend? Do they make your life easier? Or do they make your life harder? Do they strengthen you as a Christian? Do they? Your number one friend? Or your top three friends? What are they doing for you? Are they helping you become a better person? Are they helping you look more like Christ? Are you a stronger person since they've been a part of your life? You say, well, I don't think that's true. Well, let's shift gears. Let's ask another question. Let me ask you the question, this question that's probably a little more personal. Who are you a friend to? And what kind of friend are you? Do you make their life easier or harder? Do you strengthen them biblically? 
Are you helping them become a person that's more like Christ? Are, you, are they a stronger person since you've been a part of their life? Come on. Are you the stumbling block in their life? Are you? Do I want you as my friend? Because I'm going to tell you what kind of friends I want. I want a friend that's the same Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Y'all follow me? I want a friend that can just say it the way it is. I want a friend that's so transparent when he fails and he falls, he trusts me that I come alongside of him and not judge him, but help him. I want a friend that doesn't look at me just as a pastor, but looks at me as a human being. That can say, Dave, I know you're just as human as the next guy. That can help me when I stumble. That can help me when I fall. That can be there for me. That is the kind of friend I want. I want a friend that's going to make me better. I want a friend that's not going to encourage me to do things that are going to be contradicting God's Word. I don't want a friend. I don't want a friend that's going to tempt me to do things that are not going to help me. Y'all follow me? Doesn't matter if you're young or old. That one hits home. Somebody that's always pulling you and saying, what's the big deal? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? Why don't you date her? Why don't you date him? Why don't blah, blah, blah. And you know everything they suggest is contrary to what you know is right. I don't want a friend that has a big mouth that gossips and uses prayer as an excuse to gossip. We just need to pray for them. Did you hear what's going on with them? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, now I know. I don't want a friend that has a filthy mouth that's really trying. And if they do, I want a friend that I could come alongside and say when they do, I love you, man. Let's do this together. I love you. I want to help you with this. And I don't want them to think I'm judging them for that. Y'all follow me? It's just making friends that help us.